You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 2021 slasher sequel to a remake halloween kills evil dies tonight it's a guitar riff in mine yeah no it it would have helped to have a guitar riff i think keep that energy up (laughs) i have a story surrounding going to see this movie in the theaters would you like to hear it i sure would because i have no story related to my watching of this movie for our dear listeners at home you might be aware When I went to go see Halloween 2018, I've talked about this a couple of times. It was literally the worst experience of going to the theaters I've ever had in my life. I've dealt with talkers and people who walk around and seat kickers and all kinds of stuff before. But that was really an experience unto itself in which I was just surrounded shoulder to shoulder with some of the rudest people I'd ever met in my entire life to the point in which I had to lose my temper. And I don't like doing that, particularly on strangers uh, who are just trying to have a good time, but they're trying to have a good time in a very different way. I'm trying to have a good time. So 2018 leaves us. Now it's the year 2021, although not in the film, but in this world, 2021 is what we're dealing with. And I want to go see Halloween Kills in the theater. Because there was no place to stream it, and I like going to the movie theaters. And I wanted to see it immediately. So I head to the theater with my partner, and all of a sudden, this we go late. It's, it's like the last showing on a Friday night. And I'm getting my tickets. We're on the verge of, we're just on time. Like, we're on the verge of being late slash just on time. And, you know, my partner wants to get a drink and, and all that kind of stuff, and All of a sudden, this kid walks up to me. He looked, I'm not good at judging kid ages, but he looked like he might be 14 years old, 13, 14 years old. Not really sure. And he comes up to me out of breath. Oh, excuse me. Hey, um, could you, could you help me get into this movie? I want to go see Halloween Kills with me and my friends. And they, they won't, they won't let us in. And I'm just standing there in front of him. And I was just like, isn't that movie R-rated? He goes, no, okay, well, it's just not that I really care, but I, I'm more just like, are you going to be okay to watch this movie, kid? I know you think you will be, but are you? Uh, I don't know what's in this flick, right? And he said, oh, no, it's, my mom says it's okay. It's just they won't, the people at the movie theater won't accept her word over the phone. I need to be with somebody who is over 18 years old. And I, and I was like, all right, go get your friends. You're all coming to the movies with me. And so there we are trying to like get the shit together with his friends to sort of coordinate because I think it's kind of like they had started to scatter and they're like, well, there's no plans. And there was only like three of them, right? It wasn't like it was like 10 kids, right? It was a kid, a dude and two uh, young girls. And I was like, all right, I see what's happening here. It's like you're trying to be big man on campus, take the ladies out to go see an R-rated horror movie, and you look like a kid that has just filled his diaper because you can't get into this fucking R-rated movie and you promised everyone that it was no big deal and you look like a fool. And they're taking forever. 
to fucking get their shit together. And I'm like, I've bought my tickets. I've bought my food. And I'm like, can we just go, kid? Like, come on. And I have to stand at the concession stand with the people who are also selling the tickets. And I have to basically confirm with them that I'm going to be sitting with them and that I'm responsible for these kids. Like whatever happens to them in the movie theater. And there's a part of me, and my partner was saying this too. There was a part of me that was just like, it is fucking a quarter to 11 at night. There's no one else in this fucking movie theater. Just could you guys be cool for like a second, like a fucking second? Cause we all know what's going on here. I don't know these kids. This is all just lip service so they can go to the fucking movies. So why don't you just sell them their tickets and go and fucking sweep up the goddamn popcorn and go home? Like that like that's all that needs to happen here, right? And no, they got to make it a whole fucking big thing and so we were almost fucking late to the movies trying to get theater and then what ended up happening was there was a bunch of younger people in the movies not a ton but like they like getting up and leaving the theater and then coming back and going into the theater and so this whole time I couldn't tell anymore if it was the same kids that we let in and my partner was like oh my god those kids won't fucking sit down I was like they're gonna get us all kicked out of here and I was like I don't think it's the same kids but I honestly can't tell because I just don't don't really remember what they looked like yeah you have face blindness when it comes to 13 year olds and I don't blame you yeah, I was just like, I don't need to know what the slobbering 13-year-old looks like. I just need to, I want, I'm trying to be a nice guy. And I, I apologize to my partner afterwards because I, I told them, I was like, listen, I'm sorry. I was trying to be a nice guy. I was picturing myself when I was that age. I was tall. I, I never got carted for anything. So I could go see R-rated movies. But I could imagine, you know, you're a kid. You want to go see an R-rated movie. And movie ratings are bullshit fucking anyways. So I, I was just like whatever, like, I'm just trying to be nice. And, and they were like, no, no, it's okay. I, I understand. It's just stressing me out because I want to fucking go see this movie too. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's my story. So I'm very, it's funny that the only time anything happens to me at the movie theaters that's not just sitting down and watching a movie and then going home, it's the Halloween franchise. So I'm curious what Halloween ends has in store for me and i'll keep you guys updated definitely and i don't know you are a hero to those kids i'm sure i i'd have not done what you've done that's that's crazy to me no it's helpful you've done a service to those kids for sure but that's bonkers and yeah you'll always be their hero so i like that always be the the old bearded guy that let them into the theater they, they probably were like that guy looks cool that's what i'm hoping i hope that they just looked at me and like that guy's cool like a guy that buy them cigarettes or something just like that guy seems on the level <laughs> you also seem over 18 yes that's for sure definitely over 18 i actually have a question for you right off the bat because you and i haven't really talked about this if anyone really wants to know my opinions on this movie i wrote an old-fashioned written review and you could see what I think of it, but I didn't really ever ask you directly. I've heard through your other show, Typical Books on YouTube, I've heard you mention Halloween Kills once in passing, but I haven't actually directly asked you, did you like this movie? 
I've been holding it, Wes. I've been holding my opinion in a little tight ball deep down in my stomach where Hank Hill puts his feelings. You know the place. That's where <laughs> I have my opinions on Halloween Kills. It's a Halloween movie. I'm going to enjoy it. It could have been hot garbage and I would still enjoy it because I am that much of a Loomis fan that anything they do under the Halloween name Anything that an Akkad, even dead Akkads, might have touched, I am there for it. I am sold on, you know, you could be watching Teletubbies and you throw the Halloween theme behind it and I'm there. <laughs> There's a lot to not like, on the other hand. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that doesn't fit with expectations, but we learned from Halloween 4, or Halloween 3. <laughs> we learned from Halloween 3 what expectations get you in the Halloween universe. But <laughs> I liked the first one, like the the remake sequel, whatever you want to call that, mm -hmm. the remake -wool. I had I enjoyed that quite a lot. I loved mm -hmm. the ending, and I knew that this picked up the same night, and I knew that it would take place partially in a hospital, and those are some of the things that I love so much about the original Halloween 2. So I, I went into it with so much love already, and that didn't get mm -hmm. destroyed. So I guess I like it. I guess I liked it. There's, like I said, things to not like. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. This film has created a divide amongst people. Like, so we were talking before the podcast started about does divides, cultural divides, and the us versus them mentality. And a film that is all about us versus them and not us versus Michael Myers, as you might suspect it would be about. This film has created a serious us versus them. People seem to be doing what they do on social media and they're using it as the horn of Gondor to summon the Urukai to you to like, to, to like, or whatever the fuck. Like they're just like, I think this is the greatest Halloween movie ever. Don't at me, which means I want to have a big conversation about this and I want this tweet to get liked 15,000 times. Anytime that anyone ever goes out of their way to tell you that they don't want to talk about something, I'm like, then you wouldn't have tweeted it, you fucking neckbeard. When this film comes out, came out and then I started hearing the, since I saw it the opening day, I was in a position like I often am when I go see movies very early. I have no idea what the consensus is leaving the theater. Like, I don't go online to just be like, now let's see what everyone else thought about this. I hear about it days later where I'm thinking, huh, people didn't like it, eh? Wow, that's interesting. Because I also was planning to to write a review of the film because, and I don't want to read chatter online because I don't want it to poison my brain. I want to I wanna have my own opinions sort of out there. Um, I also like this film. I don't like it quite as much as I liked Halloween 2018. Halloween 2018 was this hotly anticipated juggernaut of excitement that I had not seen in horror. It was like your favorite band getting back together. Jamie Lee Curtis, John Carpenter, like Nick Castle, all these people coming back to be in this film and they were they were doing tons of like Blumhouse 
fucking if you weren't going to go see Halloween 2018, you will fucking know that it's happening. They made sure that everybody knew that that movie was coming and it did gangbusters and it lived up to the hype. I was so fucking excited to see this movie. And even though the experience in the theater was awful, when I watched it again at home, because I, I obviously I bought it on Blu-ray, um, mm-hmm. I was just like, this movie fucking rules like it's so fucking good uh and and it became it elevated michael myers in my mind to me because as much as i love halloween 1978 and as much as i love halloween 2 i don't have much love for any of the sequels i i'm not gonna say something that will piss people off by saying they're unwatchable. But I will say that I have a hard time sitting down and enjoying even things like H2O. You know, the the Rob Zombie films are kind of a non-starter for me. But, but like, this was like, oh my God, not only did you effectively bring this character back, but you made him fucking terrifying. Like, the strength, the, 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 the inhumanity. I was like, when was the last time we saw this much love and attention and fear brought back to it's like straight up slasher they don't do this anymore and there was no aha wink wink it's a slasher movie it was just no here's here's just a fucking movie and i remember watching the 2018 version and thinking to myself there's honestly scenes in this where i can't tell what decade this movie might have been made in there seems to be movies that are iconic there's scenes in this film that are iconic enough to be timeless and then Going into Halloween Kills, it's almost impossible to live up to that. But I was correct in my original assumption when I went to go see this, when I first saw the advertisements for Halloween Kills. And I'll stop talking in a second because I've been talking for like fucking five minutes straight. It's that this film was going to be what Aliens was to Alien. It is going to strip out a lot of the suspense and horror and it's going to verge into an action movie, which I feel it does. Yes, it definitely does. I mean, I, I tried to strip myself of any assumptions because I didn't know what track they were going to take. If they had filmed this really back to back, it could have all that same flavor, a lot like Halloween 1 and 2, the originals, uh, where it's, it keeps that same mood and tempo and everything. And that's just wishful thinking. I realize that. But I also had the misfortune of having a huge lag time between the time that it came out and the time that I actually got to watch it. Because as you noted, it wasn't available in Canada outside of theaters. I was cranky about that. If anyone had heard anything about my opinion about Halloween Kills, it was me bitching about how Peacock blocked everyone but US watchers from streaming it. And it was streaming absolutely nowhere in Canada, which is crazy to me in this day and age, and that you had to go to the theater to watch it. And there's those of us that are still not comfortable mingling with the great unwashed. And that is me. I'm not, I've never really enjoyed going to the theater. I think the most enjoyable theater experiences that I've had are when there's no one in there guaranteed anyway, without the fear (laughs) of contracting a virus, you know, and there's no guarantee with that. Even with distancing protocols or what have you, there was no guarantee, especially when the buzz for the first Halloween remake was so huge. It was massive. Those soundtracks hitting Bandcamp were just 
the tip of that iceberg that created like a lovely panic within horror fans the the everything the soundtrack the teasers everything that we got leading up to that reunion and you put it very well as it's like your favorite band getting back together it, it is the black parade 2.0 of the halloween franchise yes absolutely it had that same sort of love fueling it and this one i i knew it wouldn't hit that because sequels usually don't although i am a fan of part twos of things so that fan of part twos of things in me was like maybe this will hit a high point even above that of course it didn't but it did go into an action film very much like aliens i still looked forward to it once it was available here to rent for a fucking robbery it was what 26 dollars or something to rent it which is disgusting whoa are you serious yeah yeah wow wow that's like the price of a fucking blu-ray it is and but that is the trend that is what people are paying to rent new releases these days in Canada, I don't know if it's much different in the U.S. I, I suspect it's about $20. It's very expensive. I gladly paid it to see Laurie Strode kill evil, I suppose. Like, <laughs> that was the premise. I knew evil dies tonight, unfortunately. this I knew evil dies tonight was a thing. Because after the theaters let out and people were allowed to stream it on Peacock in the U.S., that was the resounding call, <laughs> for better or worse, all over the internet, is people chanting, for lack of a better term, evil dies tonight. Uh, so I knew that it had a big presence within this film, whatever this chant was and whoever was saying it. And I knew it would probably be like people all in the chin down, eyes up pose, lit by a street light outside in the rain by a wrecked car and a dead body thanks to michael myers saying evil dies tonight with a clenched fist i knew that that scene would be in there because it's halloween <laughs> but i didn't anticipate the use of that particular phrase and therein lies where my biggest disappointment lies within this film so what is this movie even about anyways lydia halloween kills is of course about evil dying tonight and it takes place right after the original remake of Halloween. Uh, Lori is being transported to hospital. And we know one thing is that Michael Myers loves him a good hospital. Or does he? <laughs> or, or does he? Yeah, boy, howdy. I, I, I guess like it's probably one of the worst cases of mistaken identity. But the benefit of... of uh, I guess Michael Myers always wearing a mask, but it does go to that trope in horror in which screw anyone's height or body type. It's it's just, are they wearing a mask or not? That's how you fool people. They had seen him on the news, and I really enjoyed that, that throughout this, because Michael Myers is alive. He, he survives that fire, and they have him on the news, but they conveniently cut it out from us. So we as the viewer don't get to see Michael's face, so to speak throughout this but we like you said the body size the demeanor is certainly absolutely not there but these are also a whole bunch of people in this town that have never encountered michael myers because it's years later this film starts off with a sequence that is fucking fascinating to me 
And it started, I think one of the reasons why I love this film so much is because I am a person who appreciates craftsmanship. I appreciate attention to detail and I appreciate giving me something that I didn't know that I wanted. And I didn't know that I just wanted another movie to just take place in 1978 and to have all of that to see we've seen the the mask and the costume and the the neighborhood and we've seen all of these things restored over the years by new HD collections and and all that great stuff and all the hard work that people do to clean up film stock but to see fresh stuff filmed on expensive digital cameras writ large on a screen it was like dipping Michael Myers into this fountain of youth that made no attempt to make it look any different than it did in 1978. It's not like when, you know, Rob Zombie remakes the first film and it's all taking place now. And so, you know, we're going to make the mask kind of look like it was buried in sand for a little while and then pulled out haphazardly and that's just what it's going to look like and also michael myers has a billy goat beard don't question it but you know this was this alarming attempt to it's an alarming in the greatest sense in the world because there are sequences in this film where i was genuinely uncertain if they were using old film that i didn't know existed or not and this is especially because they show you Loomis and it's not, it's when, when I saw like flourishes of his coat, flourishes of his shoes. And I say, okay, I see what they're going to do. They're going to play some old audio and it's always going to be, it's almost going to be like when they show Michael Myers's face, it's always going to be obscured. He's going to be Dr. Claw. You're never going to see the face. And then they show you Loomis's fucking face straight on delivering dialogue in a scene we've never seen before. And I was reeling. I thought I saw a fucking ghost. I, I, I was not sure how they were doing it. And if I was at home and I was watching this, I would have dead stopped the fucking movie right there and looked up how this was accomplished because I couldn't tell how this was being accomplished because I've seen Marvel movies where they bring back fucking dead actors and, you know, Disney does it all the time. The de-aging process, however, Loomis has been dead. Fucking Donald Pleasance has been dead for decades. How was this? And, and I can't, and it doesn't look CGI to me. How, 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 how the fuck was I doing this? And I didn't know through the whole movie how this was accomplished. And it blew my fucking hair back. I did not look up how they accomplished this because I had the exact same reaction as you, though, watching this. And being the Loomis fan that I am, I love me some Donald Pleasance. I love Loomis as a character. I had come home. I loved what they did with this. And I assume that it's a combination of reworked scenes because you can do wonders in After Effects with scenes you've already shot that are in the other movie. I'd have to like frame by frame try and match up what I suspect. And, you know, another actor with just fixing up the face like digital CG 
place a face on top, you can deep fake people quite remarkably. So I assume that is a combination of all of that and unused scenes, perhaps. Even just lighting tests and stuff like that would, would suffice for what they're doing here. Uh, so I'm not really, I don't know. So you could, you could enlighten us for sure. But I, like you felt like I was coming home watching some of these scenes with the sheriff or deputy at the time and Loomis interacting in the Myers house. I, I loved it because it is the right sort of film look, the right color, the right temperature, the right mood, the right timing, the right pacing and blocking. It just screams 70s. Even meeting Lonnie, some of those scenes within the suburbs or the small town of Haddonfield, they feel like they were lifted directly out of cut scenes from the original films. So I'm very happy to be able to share with you how they accomplished this. I didn't know if you knew or not. This was accomplished because they just so happened to have somebody on their staff that looks remarkably like Donald Pleasance and could do the impression, like could make his voice sound like Loomis. And so they combined his natural features where he almost looked like Donald Pleasance anyways, and they added practical makeup to his face. So it's all prosthetics. And it's him just doing a Loomis impression. And I, like, fucked if I could tell the difference. (laughs) And that's how it was accomplished. Just this remarkable serendipity where it's like, we oh, you have access to an ambulance? We're going to put an ambulance in our movie because we have an ambulance. We got a guy that looks like Donald Pleasance, kind of. Could we fix that with practical makeup? Oh, yeah. we and, And lighting and all that kind of stuff. And sure enough. There's your Donald Pleasance. And it it was so joyful. It was so just, it was such a, I was just so happy. Like, and, and, and I think that when the moments in this film work, they work so exceedingly well that it really gives me a pass for other goofy things that I didn't like. And then I had to, the things that I don't like about this movie, I genuinely have to ask myself, is this the movie's fault or is this my expectations fault? And particularly with how they treat certain characters, you would say, well, that's a very unceremonious way to get rid of a character like that. And then you're like, that's me attaching importance to that character because I know that this is a movie franchise, but the narrative doesn't know that this is a movie franchise and they don't know that this bit of fan service is supposed to to extend farther in my mind than it does. Um, so it's, I, I try to keep it, but man, I tell you, these flashback sequences, um, great. Spe- the stuff with Lonnie was, uh, it's Lonnie was the bully, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I freely admit that when, when that sequence started and it was Lonnie, I kept thinking to myself, Wait, am I supposed to know who this fucking character is? I've seen the original Halloween 30 goddamn times. That pumpkin scene in the first movie is so upsetting to me. I try not to listen to or I try not to watch it too closely because I feel so bad that that kid's pumpkin gets smashed. I do too. I do too. It's one of those scenes that fit so seamlessly too between the 1978 version and these scenes of Lonnie that we get to see where he does encounter the shape. How do you feel about everyone in Haddonfield growing up to just be like grizzled, leathery, flannel wearing, beer swilling dudes? Is it 
indicative of small town? I know you're a, you're a country mouse, so does that does that make sense to you? Yeah, Calendar's not much different than Haddonfield in so many ways. We have a little less of suburbia because it's not quite as big, but uh, yeah, it's very similar and it it tracks because what would you expect? I would have expected them to have moved away, much like if we want to take another kids on bikes saving the neighborhood or Cobsons, as I like to call them, <laughs> in it, the Losers Club dissipates. They they spread out. They move away. They grow up. They grow up all very differently. They don't grow up in the same watering hole, having an anniversary of sorts at a talent show or whatever the fuck, or karaoke night. That seems so fucking weird. <laughs> like <laughs> It is literally weird and it's it, it really stretches your belief because i assume that they would have grown up differently and grown up apart and things like that and not have this trauma pull them together like it did but then i'm reminded very much of people within small towns that have no trauma tying them together necessarily that still grow up like this so it is entirely possible that they would grow up to be a bunch of grizzled barney rebels hanging out in the same dive bar including the nurse from the institution who like didn't live in haddonfield she was not from there so i was i was like why is she here (laughs) and she didn't appear very friendly in the originals so she was not a friendly nurse whatsoever, and she would have been scared away, I think, from Haddonfield entirely. And, and that kind of goes to my, when when this film came out, or when it was being hyped, they had all of these, you'll never guess who's back. All of these, like, you thought we brought everyone back before. Now we're bringing people back you didn't even fucking think about. Like Josh Hartnett, <laughs> Josh Hartnett, he's back. His bangs are all crooked and shit. He's like, you left me in 1998, man. And, and, you know, like bringing her back. And then, you know, by the way, there's, if you haven't seen this movie and it's completely logical and rational that you have not seen this film, usually we're talking about movies that are 30 years old. Today, we're talking about a movie that's only a couple of months old. There will be uh, major spoilers. So if you've not seen this film and you don't want to know who lives and who dies, I recommend not listening and come back later after you've seen the flick because spoilers pretty much are starting now. They kill that fucking chick and it is one. It's very reminiscent of her almost dying in the first film, but in the second they, they play it off for laughs where they're just like for Loomis and the gun doesn't go off and then she instantly dies. But that's what, what is sort of remarkable with me, people complained a lot about how there's so many characters in this film, but I don't think that's a problem because they fucking kill off characters so fast. There's so much of like a, Hey guys, I just got here. What's going on? Like it's, (laughs) it's that from big John and little John to the couple, uh, the, the elderly couple that's next to the, Lori's house to there's all these like every kill scene is set up as its own it's almost like an SNL short it's got a beginning middle and end and they're all cobbled together with um the hospital stuff essentially the hospital stuff is only the only cohesive part of the narrative what did you think about that the fact that there's so many interstitial little kills yes I, I think that it's 
in line with the other Halloween films. When you think back to the first Halloween film, we have a very Laurie centric narrative that that clings in our in our mind. Uh, Laurie and Michael, but there are a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of small kills going on around the second one, even more so. It is in line with a lot of the other sequels too. It's very much in line with the first Halloween remake. Well, because there are some of my favorite kills are people we don't even know the names mm -hmm. of, aren't even really clear on how close they are <laughs> to the Myers house or the old house or Lori herself or Lori's daughter's house that he just walking through a house, stabbing people in the throat, walking out the next door, you know, like he's just that shark swimming through the water. Cause he is likened to a shark apex predator within this film and many other times and by fans and the creators. So it makes sense to me. And I love that. I love that we barely get to know a lot of these characters, even some that we do get to know, like Big John and Little John, like you mentioned, I really enjoy this sort of random couple that has remodeled and, and taken over the realtors that have taken over the Myers house, like really kind of wonderful that we get to meet them because it would have worked to me if we they would have been actually people that were involved in the original story say this is where Lonnie lived mm -hmm. or something because he just couldn't let go of the past or if we never knew their names if we didn't have a whole scene of them looking for this predator within their house or having their Halloween almost almost a couple's fight almost <laughs> a little <laughs> bit of a spat but if we hadn't had any of that if it was just two dudes in a house and Michael came in and laid waste to them, I'd have been just as happy because I think that it's all in line with these little interstitial kills. We get to see what Michael's up to in between. And that's always been the beauty of it. We don't get to see him posing bodies so much. It's similar to Jason. We get to see the aftermath of what he does, but we do follow the shape around more often than most killers because that's who we're really interested in seeing from behind the mask, right? So I, I, it wouldn't have been a Halloween movie without them, I don't think. Interesting. I never really thought of it like that. Um, what did you think of Myers's look? This is a Michael Myers. This is battle-damaged Michael Myers. This is the rare chase figure. This is the one that you... Um, this, is the, this is the one where you're like, oh, yeah, they just painted him a little different. He has... Um, he's been scorched quite badly from being in this fire he has also sustained damage he's still missing fingers he um you know but yet um is still able to to move with stealth and efficiency the, i i chop that up to just the power of of michael myers yeah the power of evil i can get behind that totally the power of michael myers um it seems to me and i noticed this in the movie previous and halloween kills very much that they've cast him just so. Michael's body hasn't aged. He hasn't gotten bigger or slower or quieter or louder. He hasn't gotten, he hasn't had his edge dulled, so to speak. The only thing that has really aged is the mask. Sure, his body sustains damage, yes, but it's the, the mask is showing the, the wear or the age. And you can just imagine... And I think it helps that they don't really show him to us, the viewer, that, oh, we know he's aged. And we, we can tell from the little bits of the sides of his face that we could see that his skin has aged 
like humans skin does but there's something within there that power core <laughs> that central force has not aged a day um so it it helps that we have something that he hasn't just supernaturally subsisted throughout all this time something has aged and that's the mask something has really sustained visible damage as the mask and I, I like the way that it's aged and you can also see and I noticed this in the the movie before it too how the mask they've made it so that the rubber or plastic or whatever compounds that were supposed to be in the original mask have aged the way that elastic bands do and they get sort of crinkly and creasy and they've done that really well so you can imagine that this is that latex rubber just about to give in mm-hmm. some places so I, they did a really good job with making me believe that this mask has sat around that long and has gone through a fire it looks appropriate and it's also appropriate that he did survive the fire because he's michael myers after all um that sequence where he fucking kills all those firefighters was awesome but that was the first indication because one of the interesting things about michael myers here and correct me if i'm wrong I don't think there's a scene in which Michael Myers kills one person. He is minimum killing two people and at maximum killing five to fucking 10 people. And there's almost, um, there's something that I don't think that we've ever really seen before outside of, I can lay to rest, uh, Crumb Skull lay to rest too. There's choreography in it, in, in a certain sequence in particular that I'm thinking of, but um, in this, there's straight up core, like seeing Michael Myers, like dodging people with axes and stepping to the side, almost like he's fucking Jet Li, but not, not in an unrealistic, like, it's not like Michael Myers knows martial arts, but he is, he is adept. He seems to be adept at fighting in groups, something that we've literally never seen him do before. Right. And, and all of these firefighters are completely outmatched. And these are all big strapping guys. They're firefighters for fuck's sake. And he is making mincemeat out of them and sidestepping poles and axes and like killing people and turning their saws on their heads and shit like that. Fucking badass. I loved it. Um, I was at the edge of my seat. I thought that sequence was amazing, but it's wild to see, isn't it? Isn't it wild to see Michael Myers like fight that many people? It's sort of the position you've always wanted to see him in, right? Knowing just what alacrity he has, what sixth sense he has to avoid these sorts of blows, much like a a Jet Li character, very much so. I think Macabre was the closest thing that I'd gotten to seeing someone lay waste to multiple people who has that same sort of demeanor. Oh, yeah. um, The the older brother in, in Macabre. He's very similar to this sort of killer. And... That's part of what I like so much about him is that he had that very stoic, rigid presence, the sort of killer that can walk while you're running and still catch up to mm-hmm. you. And that's the magic of Michael Myers. There was um, one scene that I've literally not stopped thinking about, and it's a nothing scene in the first f- fucking two minutes of the movie when those cops are going after Michael Myers in the flashbacks in 1978 and he's walking down that hallway in the suburbia, not hallway, but this sort of back alley suburbia area. And the whole sequence is like, Oh my God, this looks like Halloween too, doesn't it? And the cop takes time to like really, really aim his pistol. 
and he fires. And just as he does, Michael Myers, standing upright, walking at a normal pace, turns the corner. And the bullet hits the wall right where he, that, that cop would have pegged Michael in the back of the head. But he just, he didn't dodge it. He just walked, suddenly walked in a different direction. And the cop completely whiffed his shot. And I've been thinking about that over and over again. And it's like what you say. It's this alacrity. It's, that is the first sign where I'm like, that seems almost supernatural to me. That seems beyond human. It reminds me a lot of in Terrifier, where Art the Clown, who doesn't speak and is 100% mute, mm-hmm. goes to laugh or or scream, scream laugh sort of in agony, joy. And instead of a noise escaping him, a steam valve releases mm-hmm. nearby. And it gives this sound of this breathy, lispy, laugh, cry mm-hmm. sound which takes the place of the sound we had expected from the uh, physical acting coming out of Art the Clown at that particular moment. And it's that first hint that we have that Art the Clown has some sort of supernatural drive or some sort of supernatural protection or something. There is a, a shine about him of some sort. And that is like Michael Myers in a nutshell, that same sort of power of being able to evade doom, death, destruction, being killed. Let alone, we know he can take bullets. We also know he can drive cars. There's a lot of mysteries about (laughs) Michael Myers. We'll never, ever unravel. But the fact that he just knows when something is being swung at him, shot at him, coming at him. He knows when to step over something that would even trip him in the dark. He's the sort of guy who you could rearrange his furniture in his house as a prank and it wouldn't even work. (laughs) you're absolutely right um there was there's so many sequences in this film that i thought about like when he killed the elderly couple and he drags one of them back to the kitchen island and he's just like stab just pulling out different knives and we were seeing kind of like oh this is him in the process of making whatever bizarre art this might be to him because, you know, so many times we like, we open up a car door and there's a, a, a human head carved out like a pumpkin. How did he have time to do this? Who knows? But we, we could see him in the process of making a little little shish kebab thing like a just. Well, don't you think he was just looking for a knife that feels right? Maybe. He was like, this one getting caught in the bone. I don't much care for that. Um, they set up the initial group of people to gather to fight Michael Myers. And it leads to this sequence in the car that when I was at, at the movie theaters, as first of all, that group of teenagers, there was that, that trio of trick-or-treaters that were being super obnoxious in the film. And all the teenagers in the, the- theater were like making fun of those teenagers and like the ridiculous things they were saying and doing. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, you guys know that when the writers put characters like in this, they're making fun of you, right? Like they're, these characters exist and they act this way because a bunch of adults decided that this is how you sound to them. So if you think these characters are annoying and stupid, it's only because adults think you sound like this. But that's neither here nor there. When we're reintroduced to Lindsay, they actually reintroduce all, the, all these old characters very nicely because Tommy Doyle does that ridiculous, like speech it's almost like he's doing spoken word and 
that's his talent. He's like, I guess his talent is probably telling the one story of something that happened to him 40 years ago that he will not let go. Still talking about the goddamn boogeyman and shit after all these years. And, you know, they they meet, they gather together every time. Um, Lindsay's there. The nurse is there. Um, they all end up, uh, or at least some of them, with this younger couple, this younger couple who's... Uh, doctors or dressed as doctors one of them actually is a doctor i think it's the wife is an actually a doctor and she's dressed as a nurse you think that these characters are going to be characters like you think that they're going to be throughout the entire narrative of the film and they're not they're not only are they killed they're graphically killed and that's when i really um i really was shown what this movie was trying to demonstrate where it's like we are going to introduce you to all of these characters. We are going to give them a reasonably fleshed out background. And that is you are not going to be able to tell who can who's going to live and who's going to die. But I will tell you that every single time that a character meets Michael Myers face to face, with the exception of Lindsay, who manages to hide, but everyone who tries to fight Michael Myers is going to die. And that becomes the theme of what this film is about. It's the idea of meeting brute force with brute force as there might be some other answer, but they don't quite know what it is. And we'll be reminded of this by Laurie Strode. Laurie Strode's character in this film is present, but she takes a back seat, mostly because of a grievous stomach wound that she has. And the fact that she's in the hospital and hopped up on, uh, medicine, but she becomes, in Shakespearean uh, terms, the the master of the soliloquy, the the person who will who will sort of orate these long expository pieces that are meant to be for the audience's benefit. And we know that because a lot of the time she's not really even talking to anybody. She's just sort of like, I don't know if it's the drugs or whatever, but she's sort of half lucidly talking about her theories about the infection of evil and what Michael Myers is, is and this film, and I want to know your thoughts on it, but to me, it seems like they are trying to really, whereas 2018 was just like, here's Michael Myers, here's the slasher that you know, and here's all the characters that you know, and all the things that you love. And we are going to reintroduce this to you. And it's just going to be like, what you remember a, a, Michael Myers is a guy and he's killing people and you know, we got to try to stop him now through the fires and the flames, Michael Myers has been reborn into something barely registering as not just human, but even mortal. He is, he is, he is, it is they're edging over into supernatural, at least was my observation is, do you feel like they're trying to make, Michael Myers into like more of like a mystical, like, like, like what they did with the sequels, basically putting him into a cult and stuff like that. Oh, you brought up the thorn. I thought we were going to get away through the whole episode without talking about the thorn. Uh, no, I don't know. No, because I really think that Michael, even as a child, possessed all the powers that we are seeing in him mm. as they come out. I don't think that he's become any more or less human throughout this certainly not more mm -hmm. but i think that he is just michael mm -hmm. throughout the whole from beginning to end him surviving the fire was just a matter of that luck 
and Sixth Sense, all of those things that make Michael Myers what he is coming together. So although it appears, and with what storytelling archetypes we have available to us, that he would be reborn from these flames, like a phoenix rising, mm-hmm. to get right down to the archetypes. Um, I, I, I just think that he is just Michael. He's just walking through the cornfield of life, crushing bugs under his feet as he goes. And <laughs> it reminds me a lot, like they do like you said, pull in all of these characters so that you almost get decision paralysis about who you think is going to die. Cause you know, many people approach horror films with that sort of who's going to die first kind of game. They gamify it a little bit and you can't help it cause it's fun, Yes, but they are introducing people that were standing in the yard of the psychiatric hospital at the very beginning when the podcasters come in the 2018 film Mm -hmm. and the neighbors getting into their car the neighbors of the young boy that's being babysat um dressed as a doctor and Mm -hmm. nurse and sort of bickering as they're getting ready to go out for halloween they bring those people back into the bar and they happen to know the little boy that's on the news who was in the first film like there are all these little pathways between all of these mostly unrelated characters some live some die some become part of this mob that we get to meet some run away to wherever some hide in their homes like they're directed to by the police like it's a whole town on alert And we've gotten to see so many of their faces that it feels all the more real. And I imagine that the Texarkana Moonlight Murders have some sort of parallel here because that town does live with a Halloween tradition of showing the town that dreaded sundown on a a big screen. And there are, you know, half of the town folks that are into this, half the town folks that are very against it. A lot of people who still remember people who lived through those very heinous zodiac style murders of a killer who was never caught in their small town so it is it is very very real and i can only imagine that there's that exact same sort of reality where there's many people who don't know the story many people who hear it like a boogeyman because the texarkana moonlight murders are exactly the boogeyman of that town that dreaded sundown and continues to dread sundown or at least dreads Halloween because of fucking goons like us that would go and road trip there to watch a movie on Halloween night. You know, there probably are people who are, you know, true crime murder junkies that go to the fictional Haddonfield to see the places where these murders have taken place and treat it like true crime folklore and the people who just want no part of it know it very well, but stay in their houses and away from all of this. So we get a real sense of all these different sorts of people. And at that point, knowing Michael like we do, your guess is as good as mine as to who's going to die. We have an idea that anyone that crosses his path is going to die because that is a very Michael thing to do. Mm-hmm. Very rare that someone survives uh, coming face to face with Michael Myers, whether they're coming face to face with him as a face off or just walk across his path and we know that he is now capable of taking on more than one person so even groups in cars hunting him down like that's not new either people in people in groups usually smaller groups though 
hunting Michael down don't have never stood a chance. Maybe one will escape to tell the tale and get another group of people to try and hunt Michael down or fill him with bullets and all those things that we have, even from the sequels that aren't part of this particular arc, they're in our minds and we'll, we'll never let them go. So we know that he's going to make it out of this bullshit. I, I really like the fact that they do gather, even though it is preposterous in so many ways. It reminded me so much of what people who have gone through similar murders because we don't have a lot to really pull on because it's Michael fucking Myers, but Zodiac and maybe son of Sam to a certain extent, even though we know who son of Sam is. And I'm assuming that there are remembrances and storytelling and survivors of the Texarkana Moonlight murders who at least pass one another in the street, maybe sit down and talk and have coffee much like people sit at the legion around the round table and talk about what they had witnessed in the war because they're in a safe space. Mm, you're really right. You know, when you were uh, talking about the, the, the Texarkana murders and then the movie, the town, of the dreaded sundown, I was like, it really was like that, wasn't it? Everyone just preparing. And even as much as you prepared, you're still going to kind of lose to this, insane killer yeah absolutely I, I think that um i think that you're right about that uh when michael myers begins his killing anew this is something that laurie's daughter and granddaughter are trying to keep from laurie because laurie is very much like boy kill them we got them guys and and then i'm gonna rest my weary old lady head and you know, just heal and concern about that and everything. Meanwhile, there are, everyone else is trying to like keep this from her while the hospital slowly becomes this fever pitch of madness, all thanks to uh, Tommy Doyle. Like, my God, this guy is so fucking insane. And, Still, again, I can't. I'll, I'll, I'll stress this until the day I die. Still, after all these years, just screaming about the boogeyman. It's been forty years, and he's still. He just keeps saying boogeyman, 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 boogeyman. You can, you could say, you could call it what it is. Michael Myers, the the serial killer <laughs> that that attacked you all. You don't have to. But again, like the whole, this film talks about a lot about the mythos of of Michael Myers and what it's done to Haddonfield, Illinois. It's not so much, you could tell the the damage, uh, the 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 scars are still there because the people are still there. Many people are still like the the fucking sheriff is still there. I don't know, he's he's a hospital security now or something, but. All of these people who you would think normally would move out, I guess, just decided to hunker down and and again, reminisce year after year, cathartic, I suppose. And then there's all these younger, newer townsfolk, people who were this all happened before they were born or when they were too young to remember. And all these old timers are getting them riled the fuck up. And this is we had talked about this, but before the podcast had started, even though this film was probably was all filmed and done before the riots in the United States, like the storming of the Capitol building, 
it's interesting that we have seen this fevered pitch of madness recently in our own history and so vividly and watching people get trampled and dragged and uh, wrongfully killed while people just shout slogans at each other. Evil dies tonight, Lids. I don't know if you heard. I did hear that evil dies tonight. And this scene, when everyone is getting on the Tommy bandwagon, and mm -hmm. granted, he is a, a person who has suffered severe trauma and had a boogeyman fixation as a child yes for sure that wasn't helped by laurie strode having a, a break with reality after being terrorized by a serial killer mm -hmm. and boiling it down to boogeyman mythos and so tommy has lived all of his, his life and people have lived under the shadow of his his madness and calling it what it is he needs therapy oh he's my a God. broken man he does and people are hanging on to this madness not unlike people do and you had talked about how it creates this this division and sense of otherness there is even otherness within the fans of this film and there's otherness on display here and in our, our news because uh watching it i thought is this like twitter come to life is this a twitter yes. mob is this a cancel mob is this a dog pile come to life and that is what it feels like. And it has that very icky feeling. I think the last time I had this feeling that many moviegoers did have this feeling is the movie Mother by, was it an Aronofsky film, I believe, yep. where people are invading her house. Mm -hmm. And it's it's so horrible feeling to be, to have that sort of closeness invasion, no one listening to you, no one respecting boundaries people shouting about things that they're wrong about and you know it and that horrible feeling that many people get when they stumble upon twitter <laughs> or stumble upon a very big pocket of twitter which is very alien to them uh that is, is, is an uncomfortable angry feeling and that's what they get very right although it is hanging on this phrase evil dies tonight which doesn't carry the weight and I had the same feeling about the initial film with the boogeyman stuff. It didn't carry the weight that it would have unless you were maybe 12. Mm -hmm. Then it would carry a little more weight. To have people fist in the air chanting evil dies tonight and chasing people around a hospital so they can effectively kill evil. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't. It's cartoonish and it didn't have that same sort of weight. And it became it was overused very, 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 very much in the film. I did not like it, mm -hmm. Sam I am. I did not like Evil Dies Tonight and Ham. I think it reaches uh, parodic levels quite quickly into the film and it lacks any sort of subtlety, but at the same time, we've if I hadn't if I have not been a person who has been watching the world unfold the way that it has in the past God, like ten years just this increasing sense of us versus them and the thought of something being justification for any actions to protect ourselves from the other, from an unseen or unknowable enemy. And I think that when you consider what Michael Myers is, just this apex predator, that 
who uh, Laurie Strode very adeptly or, or poignantly says that the people who are killed are, are the lucky ones because what the aftermath of that, what that looks like is far more sinister. And that's the true evil of Michael Myers is this infection of fear and uh, uh, evil that he spreads out to other people. So evil dies tonight is stupid. But when you hear what people are actually shouting at each other on the internet, I can't really say that it's any more intelligent, any more poignant, any more well thought out. Everyone's working with the first fucking draft. Anything that you can distill down to a soundbite and repeat ad nauseum. So when someone tries to hit you with a counter argument of any kind, you can scream in their face, evil dies tonight, it's good enough. And I think that the hardest thing to swallow about watching a film with mob mentality is since we're observers on the outside looking in, it's incredibly alien and frustrating because you don't understand how people can act this way and you don't understand the excuses of, well, things got out of hand. And I, I you know, whether you're watching the, the divide of the people in the grocery store in the mist or whether you're watching the divide of the people in the hospital when really you only have a couple of voices of reason in Haddonfield and those are being drowned out by this wall of noise that is hitting them over and over and over again. And your and rational thinking becomes irrelevant. People are trampled over. They'll be killed. Authority figures uh, are, are proven to be ineffectual um, and corrupt. We see uh, lots of inside baseball with police on here because of a police officer uh, accidentally shooting his partner and then them just, just, you know, don't worry about it. Here's what happened. Give me your gun and you take this gun and, you know, we're going to, we'll just, you know, it'll be swept under the rug. And all of this is to show that nobody is really in charge if you think about it. And the only one that seems to be doing what they want to do is Michael Myers. And it's sort of... <laughs> And by his actions, he's showing the facade of civilized society and how if you get enough people shouting slogans at each other, they could just be as bloodthirsty and mindless as Michael Myers himself. There's not as many examples, save perhaps the storming of the Capitol and some of the other riots that we've been witness to in the past couple of years on the news, or if we were unfortunate enough to be in the streets when any of this was going down. Um, but in, in past and things that sort of bleed onto online and other conversations, I'd say that it's sort of similar to the first woman to coin the term incel who was involuntarily celibate mm -hmm. herself, mm -hmm. but not in a hate filled or maligned or subcultural way necessarily. It was reaching out with her own truth of being involuntarily celibate and or feeling involuntarily celibate for a, a stretch of time and defining those feelings, which mm -hmm. is always important so that people have a sense of inclusivity and understanding. And that's what makes uh, humanity churn and work when it works at its best. 
And then it goes without saying what the term incel has turned into since then. A very, very fucking different thing. And it is a lot of people shouting at one another. Of evil dies tonight. And it boils right down to that. You're very right. It's the hand clap emoji come to life. Mm -hmm. Andrea Subasati tweeted evil pies tonight. And I don't understand the context even to this day. But I know that it was a riff on Halloween kills. And it still sticks in my mind as just the funniest thing ever. So every time I hear it, I think evil pies tonight. I don't know why. I don't know what it meant. Maybe I'll have to ask her someday. But it is comical and it is overused even though when when you explain it in that it is a distillation of misguided anger and clapping back so to speak Mm -hmm. but misdirected even though the person who would have been that first person to coin the term involuntary celibate is our laurie strode saying no he's not here that's not michael you've got it wrong calm down everybody Mm -hmm. because this mob thanks to tommy has been whipped into a frenzy whether they understand who michael myers is we're privy to this terror that he had brought upon haddonfield back in the day or today because they're living with the aftermath of it much like the the children of survivors of trauma have a particular trauma that's why there's al-anon and there's the Alateen and the different organizations for people who are not directly within the line of fire when it comes to any sort of trauma or addiction or need for support. But they are the in the secondhand smoke area of people in that position and are suffering trauma as a result, like a dry alcoholic, so to speak. So those people are in this mob. The people who, yes, are using this as a cover for their own deviousness. People who want to pick up a gun and go to war, not because they believe in the cause, but because they want to pick up a gun and go to war. Mm -hmm. Those people are in this mob. It is absolutely terrifying, really, but angry making because we've seen the same sort of behavior over social and political causes online of all fucking places with keyboard warriors. So these are keyboard warriors come to life. Like they really wouldn't. And we usually have that assurance in real reality that these people are not, will not come to life and storm the streets, but they have, we've seen it and here they are. The book, which I received before I watched the film, but I didn't read the book in its entirety yet. I read the first few chapters and then Tim Wagner, the author, read the first five chapters on a podcast called Dead Headspace. He had written this novelization of the film without having seen the film. Mm-hmm. He wrote it from the scripts, which is good. It's it's eerie how on par it all is, actually. I really like his treatment of it in the novelization. And I had skipped ahead to read the section of the film that sticks in my mind. It seems to me, even though the, that part of the film isn't very big, it sticks out like a sore thumb, the proverbial sore thumb, because it's the portion of the film that I disliked the most and took away from the Michael Myers I want and that I want to see and the Laurie Strode I want to follow and it just distracted from all that in so many ways and in the book thankfully it's not a very large part of the book and it happens during that interstitial scene that also caused a little bit of a kerfuffle with Big John and Little John in the original Myers house and so you're going between these two scenarios the mob at the hospital 
and Big John and Little John in the book. And it doesn't take up so much time. And I like to think that Mr. Wagoner, when writing this book with the script in hand, just took a little red pen and struck out two of every three mentions of the words evil dies tonight because those words <laughs> aren't used as often in the book as they are in the film. It's probably very glaring if you if you were to write out how many times evil dies tonight is set in a film and you just would look at this huge block of text and you'd say, all right, as an author, I'm going to remove 99% of this because it just looks ugly and no one's going to sit there and read this 25 times. I'm just going to look up if how many times, if, if someone has counted how many times evil dies tonight in Halloween kills, just in case someone has counted it. Did I ever tell you that I am... Um... While you're looking that up, did I ever tell you that I I visited that original incel website way back in the day? No. I can't remember why I did it because at the time I had a girlfriend. So I don't know. I, I, I think I had stumbled upon it or something on Google and I was like, involuntary celibacy. What the fuck is this? And I looked at it and the way it was originally described, just a message board with people um, talking about their problems with the uh, with dating and and having sex and all that kind of stuff, and I was reading it and I was perhaps mean spiritedly uh, having a good chuckle at it because to me I was I was basically watching a bunch of people that have no idea what they're doing or talking about try to give each other advice, and I remember just like, wow, talk about the blind leading the visually challenged, Jesus Christ. And and I remember, you know, going away from it and then telling a couple of friends, hey, have you heard of this involuntary celibacy? I looked up this ridiculous thing and it's so fucking funny, blah, blah, blah. Forget about it. And then all of a sudden I start hearing the term incel and people are like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm like, incel, is that that fucking website? It, when I was there, it was funny. It was funny because I was a dick and I was young, but it wasn't sinister. It wasn't that it hadn't yet reached evil dies tonight. That's crazy. And I have seen screenshots of the original website. And I I know that when the web was younger, there were a lot of really cool supportive pockets where people could talk about things, even very controversial things, without it being like a scourge on our society or mm -hmm. a dark underbelly and i'm not talking about stuff like stormfront and and a lot of real real bona fide hate groups and stuff like that i mean like mm -hmm. just general people talking through fucking problems which is what the involuntary celibacy thing was mm -hmm. and i can see it being looked at mean-spiritedly by a younger person or even someone who had you know experienced some portion of their life as what they would coin as involuntarily celibate but knowing that there's greener pastures <laughs> i don't know that it's not like the definition of your of you as a human being it's really really not and uh yeah it is it served a real purpose though then and there's still groups to converse like that today that serve a very real purpose for people to share experiences but yeah that's crazy I, I can imagine it was a much smaller group and there was no fear involved. It seemed kind of chill to me. It just kind of seemed like people who just like hopeless, shy people that didn't really know. Maybe not hopeless, but you know what I'm trying to say. Did you find out? Did someone say how many times they've seen Evil Dies Tonight? 
No, and I do want to watch it again now to count. Like I counted all the yeahs in the More Human Than Human KMFDM remixes. Ooh, um, the, I, I think it kind of goes down to this mob mentality of, I feel bad. I don't like to be afraid. I don't, I'm tired of feeling angry. I'm tired of feeling helpless. And I think I will feel better when we kill this thing. If this thing's dead, all of my problems go away. And I think that subconsciously is what the mob is working on. Now, it does end up getting an innocent person killed. And I loved the sequence quite a bit. It was so sad in the in the without being too melodramatic. It was melodramatic, but it wasn't parodically melodramatic. And it was also very gory. I loved First of all, this movie is fucking gory as shit. I loved it. It was so good. Lots of practical effects. Some CGI, but also a lot of good gushy shit to really sink your teeth into. And and the the way that they filmed this sequence and how sad it ended up being, I really thought like they weren't obscuring their point. It was very remedial reading level. But not everything needs to be clever not everything needs to be like my name is humanity. Hmm. Nothing, nothing needs to be that like stupid to, or like or or like try to be clever and ends up being stupid. This was just very blatant mob mentality and look at what the mobs has, have done. While Michael Myers is fine, and I, I I became fascinated with this notion of. We are going to go fight Michael Myers. And again and again, no matter the numbers, no matter the plan, no matter the strategy, like whatever you want to talk about it, uh, was not good enough. You will never be able to defeat. They've created this narrative where you will never be able to defeat Michael Myers with blunt force trauma. You will never be able to do it. So what's the solution? Do we hug him? Do we turn our backs on him like Nancy and he'll turn into fairy dust like in Nightmare on Elm Street? Like, how do we go about defeating Michael Myers? Because the the big fucking sequence when the gotcha moment where Laurie Strode's daughter Karen uh, lures a Michael Myers out to fight this mob while Laurie is monologuing about you can't beat him this way is just like man you think that they have michael myers's number and like they don't like even when he gets shot like an an additional like six times (laughs) it doesn't work and then it is michael versus the firefighters all over again yeah really honestly and when going back to the mob at the hospital that is chasing um, a fellow escaped psychiatric patient in error because they think it's michael myers did they think it was going to be that easy and that was what was running through my mind while watching it aside from just my distaste for that scene and its repetitive nature and just seeing people run around like sheep is just not my bag mm-hmm. not my favorite thing to do i would go somewhere else <laughs> But did they think it was going to be that easy? Did they think that just because they felt right and powerful that they could surround someone who has held them all within a grip of fear for 30 years and just just 
kill them, just be done with them or whatever they were planning on doing. Did they think it was going to be that easy? And then we get the mirror image of that when Michael, for real, not a case of mistaken identity, is surrounded. Mm -hmm. We get to see what we would have expected to have happened had they had the real Michael cornered in that hospital. You know, the 2018 Halloween film, again and again, what I was getting from it was showing that, was telling us that therapy and hugs and family and leaving the past behind and moving on with your life is the only way to combat this. The only way to move on from Michael Myers. The whole time, Mm -hmm. Laurie Strode is strapping guns, getting knives, making traps, and everyone is telling her over and over and over again that you are out of your mind. You You, like, stop doing this. Michael Myers isn't dangerous anymore. And there's always people trying to, therapists trying to understand Michael Myers, people trying to help Laurie. And her just saying he needs to die. In this film, the town and um, Lori's daughter and granddaughter agree with her. They now are doing what Lori had said to do all along. Let's kill him. The police officer who spared Michael and shot his, accidentally spared Michael and shot his partner in 1978 um, stopped Loomis from blowing Michael's fucking brains in on the street right there. I should have just killed him. But every time they approach Michael Myers with violence, it serves him and fails them. Lori mm-hmm. seems to, at the end of this, understand that. But at the same time, the way that this film ends, they tr- it makes me wonder how... Why or how do you put him down permanently? Because they have, in my mind, built up Michael Myers so much, I don't even really want them to. I kind of just want to see people fail again and again. You can try to quantify him. You could try to fight him. You could try anything and it will not be good enough because he will kill you with a weapon or with his bare hands. So he can, I guess, look out his sister's window and stare at his reflection in the glass, which is a plot point that they seem to try to make matter. And I'm like, is this going to mean, is is this all leading up to fighting Michael Myers in his sister's bedroom? Is that where the last fight is going to happen? That or taking some of the onus off of the town. Like it's not him looking out at the town and blaming his sister originally, Judith, for having a hedonistic lifestyle or something or looking out at the town and wishing he could be like them or looking out at the town for maybe just a hug is what I need or looking out at the town for someone else to kill. Like maybe them just reminding everyone that He's not looking at his reflection like we would for any sort of understanding. He's looking at his reflection because it's what's in front of him at the moment. I don't know. It's it's just I, I just I just can't get over the fact that the 2018 version came off as very conservative to me. A very like, you know, might makes right and you can't trust your government and grab your guns, form a militia. This is how you do things. 
And then the second one comes off as very liberal, where it's like, you know, we have to, there has to be another way. Like, um, so I'm, I'm just so fascinated about where Halloween ends is going. That's, I'm, I'm thinking that when the, the next year, when the third movie is out, I think it will either, it needs to scrub the 2018 version or Halloween Kills because you have two movies with two fundamentally different messages to me. And I, so the third movie is about, I guess, seeing who's right. And if you know the ending of this film and spoilers, seemingly, seemingly, because listen, in 2018, we thought a character was dead and he wasn't. Seemingly, Karen is killed by Michael Myers. So what that will do to Laurie is Laurie just going to be like, I know all the things I said about you can't fight evil with evil and you can't come at Michael Myers with aggression, but he did just kill my daughter. So fuck all that. Or is it like I got to stick to my guns. And even though he's done this wrong to me, this very deeply personal wrong, the only thing I was ever trying to do was protect my daughter and my family from Michael Myers. I've been training her my whole life is to I need to like rise above that and mystical third option. I don't know. Like, I, I really don't know where they could be going with this. Laurie coming at him with two butcher knives. <laughs> That's what I want. I want it to be very simple. But in order to be very simple, they need to kind of throw out the message of Halloween kills, which I don't. So, so my theory is Halloween ends is either going to elevate Halloween kills or it's going to destroy it, and there will be no middle ground. I'm hoping in a way that it destroys it, because in the first one, like you say, it's got a very conservative leaning. She does everything short of spouting NRA taglines. Yep. It's a character that is built solidly, a character we know and that we can accept has evolved into this person that she is, and we can get behind her in a lot of her, what may appear to be other people's, like, in other people's like parlance, maybe prepper, militia sort mm-hmm. of thinking. But we understand why she came to that point. Like we understand how Sarah Connor has a bunch of guns hidden in the New Mexico desert. Mm-hmm. You know, we understand that very, very much and can get behind it, even though it's a very hard corner for a character to turn. We get what pushed them around that hard corner. We get it. And they don't telegraph it with headlines taglines slogans chants in the first one at all it is she embodies this sort of prepper militia mentality Mm -hmm. where in the second one they do none of that back work they do none of that building up of these characters they do none of that homework or they don't allow us to really steep within these chants and slogans and call outs it is just that so it comes off as extremely force-fed and stale so i can't say they'd make that mistake again that's one of the major criticisms of this film and they really can't just double down on that if they did they're foolish and they're going to lose a lot of a viewership and a lot mm-hmm. of fans and there's it's going to be basically watch 2018 and forget the next two films no one wants that money wise no one wants that mm-hmm. character wise storyline wise there's a lot of us that will just watch it because it's a halloween film but there's a lot of people that won't there's also that bone to pick that many people think they have 
with the portrayal of gay characters and they think that it's a homophobic film because of the way that they are portrayed and that they die which I would rather see them introduce far more gay characters in Halloween Ends than give in to that sort of criticism but I really want them to give in to the criticism that the evil dies tonight blind chanting mobs is not the way to go I I think that when it, it came to the representation in this film, what I enjoyed thoroughly about it was the fact that it simply existed. And it and much like how diversity, all kinds of different people from all kinds of different walks of life with all kinds of different beliefs all live together all the fucking time. And we you don't have to have two men living together, coming out dressed like Elton John being you go girl like if this was made in the 90s they definitely would be because they're gay so let's play that for laughs um you know this just existed there was there was an interracial couple that just exists it, it they don't need to be like they don't need to draw attention to it because so often in life we don't draw attention to it it exists and it demonstrates the world that we live in and that is i believe as a fucking, you know, cishet white man, let me just fucking put that on Front Street. I believe that is the correct way to do it. Uh, maybe people disagree with me, but I, I, I just think that the characters of Big John and, and Little John were so that those sequences were some of my favorite parts in the movie. They were great characters. They did both die, but so did everyone else. I've said it in my written review. This has the highest body count of any slasher movie ever and has made Michael Myers the biggest collective dethroning Jason Voorhees as the most bodies piled up throughout their entire franchise. So like Halloween kills and he didn't care what <laughs> who you were married to. <laughs> so in, in that sense, it's fair you know, but uh, but um, yeah, I, I'm very curious to see where Halloween ends. And I, I think as a person who loves comics, I work in the comic book industry and I love superheroes and supervillains. I was watching Michael Myers writ large as a superhero. This whole movie in my Halloween Kills is about look how cool Michael Myers is. That's what if, that's what Halloween Kills is about. It's like, look at him be a badass. Look at him kill 10 fucking firefighters who all are big, hearty, husky men armed with axes and saws. And they got nothing. They cannot beat up a 60-year-old man because he is beyond them. He is a superhero. He's my superhero. And I know he's yours. He's my superhero, too. I mean, Loomis is a sidekick basically a reluctant sidekick Loomis yeah. is also my superhero Loomis is a little bit Jimmy Olsen to to Michael Myers's Superman you know what I'm saying yep very much <laughs> very much I and it's sort of like for those that didn't know that that Michael Myers was a superhero if you didn't watch any of the previous films and have only watched these uh then they get that taste of what we have come to know and love over these so many years where even in the poorer films he doesn't you know he's never really played for laughs he's never gone into slapstick mode mm -mm. he's never 
belied his mute nature. Mm-hmm. He's, well, not really. And he's not, you know, unmasked and changing. Like, he's not a changeling like Jason Voorhees. Um, there's very subtle degradations mm-hmm. to the mask itself, regardless of which franchise you're following. But he's never unmasked to remain unmasked or adopting a different mask and things like that he's he's never really changing no matter which of the halloween films so it becomes like this superhero he is baked into our emotions Mm -hmm. in one particular way and i'm glad that they haven't changed that that was another fear coming into the 2018 one that was quickly fixed even in those opening scenes Mm -hmm. it was quickly fixed and i'm like okay they get michael myers the way we all get Michael Myers. Thank God. Because if it ended up in the paws of somebody who like somebody who didn't understand Pinhead mm-hmm. and ended up making, you know, a Hellraiser film where Pinhead changes or where Freddy, Freddy at least changes subtly from its uh, welcome to primetime bitch and onward. Mm-hmm. It's just like ramping up that slapstick mm-hmm. sort of Freddy that we, some people love that we've come to know. And, you know, he hasn't changed. Thank God for that because yeah he's why we come to this we and they learned that like i said with halloween three they they've learned that we come to this for michael mm-hmm. it's not even as much for laurie although it is beautiful to see her survive that is another big fear it's owing to jamie lee curtis herself saying stuff in the past like oh i'll come back as long as you kill me off and end this and just end this uh and coming back again and it hanging in our minds that well she might die because that was her stipulation previously and it's always going to kind of worry me that in any scene she could die because she's written herself out so to speak now at the end of this in the film we get a, a particular sort of cliffhanger moment and a sense of closure in some cases because of karen and where Karen is, although we know she is bred fairly tough, mm-hmm. even though she spent many years belying her upbringing, she is made of tough stuff. So we don't really know how that's going to go. In the book, though, mm-hmm. it is a different ending. It is a different ending. Yeah, like anyone knows, scripts change on set, mm-hmm. sometimes on a dime, quite literally. Uh, so I haven't read the end of this book. Mm-hmm. Have you, or do we want to go that deep into spoiler territory to spoil the book version of this we can, i do we can so um spoilers to the ending of the novelization of halloween kills a book that i actually do want to pick up actually because it would just be cool to have and um i have a sinking suspicion that if i don't jump on that it'll become very expensive one day so may as well just try to get it um and there are differences from the movie to the book this difference in the last page is Maybe they removed it because it it begs the question more so, how did Michael Myers learn to drive? This question to me is, when did Michael Myers learn to use a smartphone? So in this book version, Karen is killed. And in the film, if anyone watched it remembers, we see Michael Myers staring out his sister's bedroom window at his own reflection. Um, which they insist throughout the movie, that's probably what he is really doing. I don't know where that thought process has come from, but fuck it, it works for me. They're tr- they're clearly trying to introduce some new lore, and maybe that'll pay off in Halloween Ends. We'll find out. In the film, it cuts to Lori looking out her hospital bedroom window 
and then the film ends. In this version, Michael Myers calls Laurie Strode on the cell phone. He doesn't say like, hey, how is it going? He, uh, She answers the phone. She sees that it's Karen. She tries to say something and she just hears the breathing over the phone of Michael Myers. And then she says that she's coming to kill him. And that's how the book ends. Hmm. Well, yes. Michael Myers driving. I love how this is a thing that Michael Myers can just do <laughs> fucking shit. Yeah. He's been around, man. I mean, he's had some pretty cool caretakers at Smith's Grove. <laughs> it made me think when the sequence where he had killed Big John and Little John that I was very glad that Big John and Little John were hipsters with a vinyl record because Michael Myers arranges their body quite beautifully as a as a as a couple and he's playing this love song on the record and I had said to my partner I was like isn't it good that they were hipsters with a, with a record player so Michael didn't have to try to like figure out how to use like like digital shit like he didn't have to open up their spotify list or he didn't have to ask you know their google dot to play something <laughs> romantic he's like oh records Which is not- we're still well yeah i know how to use records because the last time i've been in society was the fucking 70s he would know how to push a button if it was clearly marked and stuff like that and that's what like with cell phones uh, i'm not likening my my father entirely to a complete luddite but <laughs> I try and talk him into having video calls with me often because we're separated like so many other people are in this uh, viral times. Um, and I keep telling him, like, you just pick up your phone, put it in front of your face, and it's going to be flashing or there's a button there that'll say answer like any other phone call you've made on a cell phone or any other way to answer a phone, like even on a cordless phone. You just hit the button and I'll be there. That's it's just rings like a phone and it's just he does not want to do it. I could see Michael Myers getting a call on a smartphone and being able to answer it, but placing a call on a smartphone. Sure, when you open it up, it's gonna have Lori in the contacts under mom, crazy lady, do not answer, or I C E, one of those things. Crazy mom, or whatever she has Lori in her phone as, and he'd just push a button. But Get navigating that, yeah, it's a bit fucking much. It is a bit fucking much. So I, yeah, okay. I am excited. I'm gonna flip to that last page because I do have the book right here. It's got that gorgeous burnt up mask cover on it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a joy to own. So I highly recommend picking it up. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely. pick it up myself. Yeah, that's gonna be cool. But yeah, uh, what do we got next for him? Coming up next, we have The Autopsy of Jane Doe. It's not as last month as Halloween Kills, and it's not a multi-oldie either, so maybe we'll dip back into some slash after that. But The Autopsy of Jane Doe was a great film. Unfortunately spoiled because of fucking headlines of horror journalism mm-hmm. for Chris when before when he was going in to see it and when waiting to see it and anticipating it and didn't want it spoiled headlines spoiled it for him unfortunately so that'll always stick in my mind as the movie that was absolutely spoiled thanks to a shitty misplaced tweet Ugh. i hear um uh for my partner the trailer spoiled the premise of the movie for them so 
I'll be, it, I'm actually going to, like, before we do the episode, I'm going to, like, watch that trailer and say, could you parse what this movie, the big twist in this movie is before you watch it? Well, check it out. But in the meantime, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And our podcast dies now. You've been listening <laughs> to dinner. <laughs> Chill today. Where I'm just like, welcome back to Dead Air AM. Oh, we're doing it in the morning like we always do. It's Wes, sleepy Dead Air Nipe, with always typical Lydia. <laughs> I talk for you now. Who's always sleepy? Today's show, we've got Haddonfield, Illinois' favorite son, Michael Myers, joining us today. He's going to teach us how to turn an ordinary laundry hamper into a fun little playset for your cats. So you and your furry friends are going to want to tune in for that. And then up later, we have Napanee's own Marigold going to show us how to turn pine cones from your backyard into festive decorations for your tree. <laughs> 